Welcome to the fourth episode in the STEM in the Gorbals series on mental health and well-being, supported by Pulse Grant from the British Podcast Awards and Wellcome Trust. In this episode, we explore the impact of childhood experience on people's mental health throughout life. Welcome to the STEM in the Gorbals podcast. I'm Mariam. As part of our series on mental health and well-being, today we're joined by Professor Helen Minnis from the University of Glasgow. Hi, Professor Minnis. How are you? I'm good, thanks. I'm excited to speak to you today and learn more about your work. Can you tell us a bit about who you are? So I'm a child and adolescent psychiatrist and I also do a lot of research. So I do clinical work and a lot of research. And my research is mainly about the kinds of problems that abused and neglected Mm -hmm. children get. When I was preparing for this podcast, I learned that your research focused on adverse childhood experiences or ACEs. I was excited to learn this as two other STEM in the Garbles podcasters had previously interviewed Deputy First Minister John Swinney last year. And he talked about making Scotland the first ACE aware nation. Can you tell us exactly what the ACEs are? As you said, uh, Mariam, ACEs are adverse childhood experiences and five of the ACEs are the kind of typical forms of abuse and neglect that people are familiar with. So physical abuse, emotional abuse, sexual abuse, and also physical neglect and emotional neglect. And then there are also what they call types of household dysfunction And some of those are really quite common. So they include things like having a parent with a mental health problem, Mm -hmm. um, having a parent who's got a problem with substance misuse, which could be alcohol misuse, for example, uh, a parent in prison, an experience of uh, domestic violence in the home. A very common one is an experience of divorce. And that last one, I think, just reminds us that ACEs or adverse childhood experiences are really quite common in the population. Do you think this can have a really big effect on children growing up? Well, yes and no. So what we know about ACEs is that if you look at the whole population, these kinds of adversities have a really big effect. But that's not to say that they're going to have any effect on any particular individual. Just because your risk is higher doesn't mean it's going to happen to you personally. Right. I also watched the YouTube video where you and Dr. Rebecca Lacey discuss A-scores. Can you tell us exactly what an A-score is? So it's basically just a score of the number of those ACEs that I just mentioned. So say you had been physically abused and you've been emotionally abused and your parents were divorced and one of your parents had a mental illness, then you would have an A-score of four. So that's quite interesting because it doesn't really matter which of the ACEs you have. It's just the number of ACEs that you've had. What does an ACE score mean for a child? Um, Can people with a high ACE score do well in life? So a high ACE score doesn't necessarily mean anything for a particular child Mm -hmm. um, because people with high ACE scores certainly can do well in life. And I mean, I know people who are in, you know, good jobs, they've got good relationships, they're healthy and they've got a really high A score. You know, they might have experienced seven, eight, nine, even ten of these things. So what a high A score means is that you're at higher risk of having 
poor health outcomes, you would call it. But that doesn't mean it's going to happen for you. And the kinds of things that you're at higher risk of would be higher risk of getting depressed as an adult, higher risk of other mental health problems, higher risk of um, heart disease and cancers. But there are many people who've got high scores who don't get any of those problems, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, are some people more likely to have higher A scores than others? So that's a really good question, Mariam. I mean, if you live in a family where a lot of other people in the family have had high A scores, you know, you're more likely to have a high A score too, because we know that sometimes these things kind of group together in families. So, for example, say your mum and your dad had both experienced abuse and neglect as children, and they had also had mental health problems linked to their early abuse and neglect, then as a child, you're already having a higher ACE score because yeah. having a parent with a mental illness is an ACE. So they can kind of cluster together that way. So if you live in a family where there's a lot of ACEs, then you yourself are more likely to have ACEs. Yeah. So how can neglect affect a child or adult? Can the effects of neglect ever go away? Well, I'll start off with how neglect can affect a child or an adult. So Mm -hmm. we think neglect is really not very good for you at all because children really, really need adults to help them. So tiny human babies are really helpless. You know, if you think of a really, really small newborn baby, they can't do anything for themselves. You know, they need adults to keep them clean. They need adults to feed them. They need adults to keep them warm or or to cool them down if they're too warm. And so if adults don't do those things for a child, it can be pretty devastating. Yeah, You'll be too young to remember the news reports, but a couple of decades ago, they discovered that there were these horrible big institutions in Romania under Ceausescu, where children were just ignored and babies were just left sort of rocking in their cause. It was just awful. That's horrible. And what they found was that those babies, it really, really affected their development. They had a lot of mental health problems. But then on to your next question about can the effects of neglect go away? And the answer is yes. And that's where it gets really exciting because babies and children's brains are just incredible. They can heal themselves really well. And it's been shown that if young babies who've been neglected get put into a family that isn't going to neglect them, then quite quickly they can just really get back to normal because um, our brains are just, particularly babies' brains, are just changing all the time. So the effects of neglect absolutely can go away, but it's easier for those effects to go away if you can get in there early. It's much easier if uh, if you get in when, when children are very young. Could the effects of neglect even want to make push people to do better in life, to get out of this life that they're living in? Do you know, I think there's probably something in that, Mariam, because you sometimes hear of really, really successful people who've had a really terrible early childhood. Yeah. And I think sometimes people are really quite resilient. And sometimes the bad things that happen to us We learn to adapt. And I think it's something that we've kind of forgotten in the West because if you look at uh, the way children grow up in uh, most places in the world, it's quite unusual not to have bad things happening. You know, a lot of children grow up in places where they don't have clean running water, where their parents are really stressed because they don't have enough to give their children to eat. And actually, humans are really, really adaptive. And I think when I say adaptive, I mean, we're really, really good at adapting to difficult circumstances. 
And I don't think we know this for definite, but my hunch as a child and adolescent psychiatrist is that a bit of stress probably can make you kind of strengthened and better able to deal with future stresses. Yeah. So I think there's definitely something in that, Maria. Yeah. So how does your work exactly relate to communities? So I think my work is very strongly related to communities because have you heard the the saying, it takes a village to raise a child? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, children need parents to help them grow up properly and to help them develop normally. But parents need other people to support them so that they can support their children. And there's some lovely research that's shown that um, if you live in a community where parents and grandparents generally know the names of their children's friends and they know the names of their neighbours' children, then there's less child abuse in that community because you've got a more kind of close-knit, supportive community. So communities are really, really important in helping to make sure that parents don't struggle to look after their children and can prevent their children having adverse childhood experiences. Yeah. Um, Saida told me that you worked on a project in Govan that is similar to STEM and the Garbles. What made you want to do this type of work in Govan? What was your experience there? Oh, it was a wonderful experience. So I was working with a group of academics from Strathclyde University and their work is all about what they call children's voice. So all of their work has been about how to help children have a voice in what's important to them. And we were about to do a study where we wanted to take blood samples from children and do brain scans and, and we wanted to test their stress responses. And so the kind of research tests we wanted to do, the kind of things that some children might find a bit scary and even painful. So we thought we need to consult with children. And we went into a school in Govan. Yeah. And as part of their science curriculum, we talked to them about the kind of fundamentals of science. So things like what's a good research project? What's a bad research project? What's an ethical research project? What's an unethical project? So for example, they were given an example of you know, you want to do a research project to find out whether three-year-old children are going to run into the road or not. Is it ethical and is it a good research design to take a group of three-year-old children and put them beside a busy road and see if they run to the road? Yeah. And of course, the children were like, no, <laughs> don't do that. That's a silly design. So then we talked about what was a good design. So basically, it was all about training children to be scientists because... We needed children to collaborate with us in this research. And of course, what we found was that children are natural scientists because children ask questions all the time. And that's what scientists do. Scientists ask questions. Yeah. So it was a really, really enjoyable piece of work. And it really helped us to design the research in a way that was OK for the children. Yeah. So you mentioned before that you were taking like blood tests and stuff in the children. How would you measure someone's stress response? <laughs> it's actually really quite fun, I think. So what you do is you get a little pack. Um, it's about the size of a mobile phone and the child wears it either on a belt or in a little rucksack and they're attached to the pack through leads across their chest and on the wrist as well. And what the leads are measuring are things like their blood pressure and their pulse rate. You can also measure the amount that they're sweating through their skin. And then what you do is you give them a slightly stressful task. We use this thing called the Trier stress test where children are asked to make a little speech 
And you'll know from your experience mm-hmm. in school, nobody likes to stand up and make a speech. So that's quite stressful. Yeah. And then what you do is you look at whether you get an increase in blood pressure and pulse and um, the sweat in the skin. And that basically tells you the degree to which the child has become stressed. So it really is as simple as that. That's actually quite interesting. Yeah, I think children quite enjoy that, but they're not usually quite so crazy about the blood samples. Yeah. <laughs> So what inspired you to work on ACEs? Oh, well, I can tell you exactly what inspired me to work on ACEs. And it was pure chance. And in fact, this is what inspired me to be a scientist. I really wanted to work abroad. I wanted to see what it was like in different countries and hadn't been qualified very long. And I ended up getting a job in an orphanage in Guatemala. Oh, really? Yes. And um, I was the orphanage doctor. And when you walked in as a stranger, you were just covered in children. You literally couldn't walk forward until you peeled these little children off because they just ran up to any stranger. But when I went into the surrounding villages and actually the families in the surrounding villages were really poor. They had very little. They had very little food and um, no running water and things. So in some ways, they were worse off than the kids in the orphanage. But the kids in the surrounding villages would run and hide behind their mother's skirts because shyness is normal for children. So it was really obvious that the children who'd experienced neglect had very different way of interacting with adults. And sometimes that could put them in a lot of danger because if you took them out for a trip, they would just run away without making sure that adults could keep them safe. And I just thought, oh my goodness, what's going on here? This is something to do with the fact that these children are being neglected. Their social behaviour is really different. And that was me. I was hooked on science and I was hooked on understanding about the effects of abuse and neglect on children. Wow. So how do children cope with the stress of ACEs? Well, I don't think we know that yet. And to be honest, that's what I'm most interested in trying to find out next. We've got a study at the moment where every child in the study has experienced abuse and neglect. They're all in foster care when they first come into the study. And one of the things I find most intriguing is that some of those children are absolutely fine. They just don't seem to have any problems at all. And I really want to know why do some children cope with the stress of ACEs and others don't cope as well? What we've noticed is, and other people have noticed that work with children who've experienced abuse and neglect, is that some children kind of withdraw and go into themselves and it's almost as if they're trying to make themselves invisible. And then other children will kind of go to anyone, they'll kind of just walk up to any stranger and ask for help. And I've got a feeling that that might be children's ways of trying to cope with the stress of abuse and neglect Uh and that that might actually be quite good for them in the short term. But the big question is whether that then causes some problems in the long term. So honestly, we don't know the answer to that. And I think that's a really, really important thing for science to try and work out. Why do some children cope with the stress of ACEs and others don't? Yeah. What is your hope for Scotland in terms of ACEs? Well, I feel quite proud of Scotland in terms of ACEs because I think we're already quite ahead of a lot of countries in understanding the effects of adversity on the population. So people in Scotland, like, you know, your colleagues talking to John Swinney, people in Scotland have been thinking about ACEs for quite a number of years. And they've tried to train frontline workers like the police and teachers and uh, social workers and people like that to really understand that if you've had a lot of early adversity, it might be having an impact on the way you function. What I think has happened is I think people in Scotland have become more compassionate because of this understanding. So what I notice, for example, is you see Scottish policemen hunkering down and speaking respectfully to homeless people in the street, for example. 
And I think it's because they understand that a lot of those homeless people have had a really, really difficult early start in life. Yeah. And it's not their fault that they're in that position. And it just makes people a bit more empathic, I think. So I really hope that Scotland carries on that journey and that it, the whole understanding about ACEs makes us just a bit more compassionate to the people around us and helps us to be more sympathetic to people in our community who are struggling. Yeah, of course. So you mentioned that um, you did some work in Guatemala. Do you think that ACEs vary within communities? Definitely. And I think that's known, you know, and gosh, I met a colleague from Peru recently and she's a perinatal psychiatrist. So she works with uh, mothers with postnatal depression. Mm -hmm. And what she's found is that in her part of Peru, where a lot of people are living in really extreme poverty, there's a very high rate of domestic violence, you know, much, much higher than there is here. And it's probably because parents are so stressed that they're taking it out on each other but then of course that's having an effect on children so yes you're absolutely right Mariam I think the degree to which children are experiencing adversity does vary from place to place it also varies I think depending on how kind of supportive the community is so I think you know if you're living in a very um, isolated inner city where none of the neighbours talk to each other then you're probably at high risk of experiencing ACEs because your parents are not going to be getting support. So I think those are all really interesting things that we need to try and understand as we move forward and try and understand why some places in the world are doing better on this than others. Yeah, I agree. Well, thank you, Professor Menace. It's been a pleasure. It was really interesting talking to you and thank you for taking the time out to speak to me. Honestly, it's been an absolute pleasure. Your questions were great. I think it's really fantastic that you're doing these kind of podcasts because I just think, you know, young people like yourself, you're going to have a lot to contribute as time moves on. So it was really a pleasure to talk to you. Thanks a million. And thank you. So just as a final conclusion, do you have any main message that you want people to know about your research? Um, I think it's a couple of main messages. First of all, ACEs are common. A lot of children experience adversity. Um, the more adversity that children experience, the higher their risk of um, having health problems later. But many children who experience adversity, even a lot of adversity, do absolutely fine. So I think my other main message is that science and scientists really need to focus on understanding why some children seem more able than others to cope with adversity. Because I think if we understand that, we can help the whole population. Yes. Thank you, Professor Minnis. In this episode, we focus on some of the research being carried out at the University of Glasgow relating to mental health and well-being. I'm Mariam. Thank you for listening to this episode of the STEM in the Gorgles podcast. Thanks to Jackie McTaggart, a research nurse at Glasgow Clinical Research Facility, and Irene O'Neill, PA to Professor Minnis, for their help in organising this episode, and Adam for helping to write these questions. If you want to talk about your mental health, please speak to a parent, a pastoral care teacher or counsellor at your school, your doctor, or call Breathing Space on 0800 83 85 87 or a child line on 0800 11 11. Join us in the next episode as I explore the roles of behaviour and psychology in mental health and well-being with Douglas Marks from the University of the West of Scotland. I'm Jessica, thank you for listening.